Awesome, awesome. Well, I had no idea um, that today I would be uh, preaching on what I'm preaching on, um, but I'm actually going to be preaching a little bit on prayer. And so uh, it just happened that way. Anybody remember what book we are in? We're still in the book of James, so turn there with me if you're able to, and stand uh, just for the reading of the word to James chapter 4. That's what. It's good to be back home. Uh, Joey and I were in southern uh, Indiana on Friday and Saturday, and it was just a good time. It's a little too far south for me, though, um, but still a good time. And the, uh, the uh, county we were in, uh, the only uh, place to get food at, uh, everything closed basically at 10 o'clock. This is Friday night. And so I called, Joey was there with the worship team practicing, and I called Joey. I, I said, Joey, you got to close this down because Dairy Queen closes in eight minutes. <laughs> and so we call, and then we just shoot over there. It took us about eight minutes to get there. And I walk in. I mean, they're, they're just looking at us like, oh, oh, it's all closed. Oh, finally, this guy walking in. And so we go in. He goes, we got three burgers and one chicken patty. So I look at Joey. I said, you know what? I'll take a double burger. And then Joey goes, what? what man? I was going to go for it. I said, okay, fine. Can you take the burger and then add the chicken and just put that junk together? You know, with some, you know, when you're hungry, you just going to have to go for it. And, uh, no, it was fun being out south ministering and, and seeing a whole different uh, culture. The guy, <laughs> the guy, when we walk in, he goes, we don't get many of your, you guys. And Joey was like, what you mean, black folks? Yeah, he didn't say that, but then the guy called him, so he called, outsiders here. You know, I would have been in trouble. Joey would have been all right. I would have been in trouble if something had went down. I would <laughs> he would have sold me up the river. I don't even know this guy. <laughs> Anyways, James chapter 4. Let's get back into the word. I'm sorry about that. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit... He caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you remember what we said uh, earlier, if my people will call by my name, humble themselves. I mean, he's really quoting that. He goes, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. That's an amazing passage of scripture. Lord, right now, I pray that we would come closer to you. 
that you would expose the issues of our hearts and even expose why there's quarreling and fighting even amongst the people of God. Uh, Lord, that we would all, as the people of God, come and submit ourselves to you, God, that we would resist the world and the devil and all of this confusing things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, God, and that we would submit ourselves to the kingdom of God, which operates under different rules. Father, we bless you today. Teach us through your powerful, unchanging word and change us because of it in the mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. There's a movie starting at 12.15, so I'm going to have to roll, run through this. Uh, if you were here at the end of chapter 3, James, he taught. anybody remember what we talked about last week? Our tongues, you need to uh, shut your mouth. Ultimately, if your tongue is evil, it's just a, a, a symptom of the fact that your heart is evil. There's something deeper going on. Um, and the only way to tame something that is untamable is to submit to God and allow God to give us a new heart so that it changes our language. If we have a new heart, we have new language, which results in a new tongue, which allows us to become peacemakers. Look at someone and say, a peacemaker. That's really the end of chapter 3. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now, for us, we would have kept it real flowery and out there. Hey, you need to be a peacemaker. Go home. God bless you and figure out what that means. James doesn't uh, leave us there in something other or something that just sounds good because James is a master of keeping it real. He's going to tell you how you get to this place of being a peacemaker. So he moves from just a, a, a theory of being a peacemaker to what is really going on. See, if he has to tell the church to be peacemakers, that's probably because there is a conflict in the church. You know, if there was no conflict, why is he telling people that you need to be peacemakers? But there is a conflict in the church. Have you ever been in a church where there has been some conflict? Oh, <sighs> oh no, 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 no. When we were at that conference, this guy, I mean, some of the, pa it's good just getting with other pastors and in different settings. And this pastor was just unloading on me. Uh, and he was like, man, this is going on and this is going on. And I, I just look at him. I said, I'm not even going to start this conversation. Uh, everything's going so good where I am at. You know, it's too long of a story. I can't, Okay. <laughs> You ever been at a place where there's been some conflict? What causes those fights and quarrels amongst us? See, the James' wisdom is this. If God's wisdom is found inside of you and you are a peacemaker, then community strife should never come from you. If you're a peacemaker... You might have a fight out there in the world. You might. I mean, that's, it's possible, but you should never have a civil war. You should never have a fight amongst believers. We're not talking about national defense right now. We're talking about a fight amongst the people of God. Lakana is arguing with Ron. And Joanne is arguing with Deborah. And Calvin is arguing with Damien. 
There's problems here. See, James has to ask the question rhetorically because he already knows the answer. What causes these fights amongst you all? Don't those fights come from the desires that are battling inside of you? See, if you're taking notes, every fight, every quarrel, every issue you have with other believers comes from a desire you have on the inside of you. Oh, don't, don't shout me down. Don't you remember earlier when James says your own evil desire? You, have you, do, I, do we got to go back to James chapter 1 and 2 and the enemy within? How many people realize there's an enemy on the inside of us? You? See, if we are ever going to be at a place of real peace and joy and harmony and unity within the church, we have all got to quit blaming other people. And we have to come to a place, if my people would humble themselves, humility always says, it's my fault. You want to figure out how to have a good marriage? If you could ever just get those words in your, it's my fault. See, that, that is a very humbling thing. Okay, I, you know what? Coach, they're not awake yet, coach. People aren't awake. They don't, re- that was, you don't even need any more marriage counseling. All you need to look at your spouse and say, it's my fault. Doesn't that change everything? It doesn't even matter if it, if it was their fault. You just come, it's my, it's my fault. It's just me. It's my flesh. It's my evil impulses. It's the stuff. It's, uh, the real only enemies that you really have is the devil and you. See, that's what James is saying. He goes, don't you all realize there is a battle going on inside of you? You keep being fixated on the people around you and the circumstances around you and the issues around you because we love, as long as you can shift the focus off of you, then you never have to really attack the real enemy. I know this is preaching good, but I don't. The real battle church is the one that's going on deep inside of each one of us. And that's the reality of our experience in all of our lives. See, in theory, James is saying, don't you know you have been given a spirit from above or wisdom from above and you should be able to conquer the stuff that's going on inside of you. But the problem is that you, you are, your allegiances are divided. It's not like all, you're you're divided between God and the world. You have one foot with God and you have one foot with the world. And so we struggle with the part of us that God has and the part of us that the world has. And we live in this division even on the inside of us. And he begins to dissect the casualties of this internal war that we're going to. He goes, You want things. If you're taking notes, let's just process this. The first thing is you want things you're not able to have. You want things you're not able to have. I mean, this is a very simple thought, but it's it's working inside of all of us. You want stuff you're not able to have. 
You know, it's, all, it's oftentimes says that people are only happy when they're doing better than the people around them. Isn't that weird? You want stuff you're not able to have. I mean, I went down, we were down south. Some of these ministers are pastoring in rural communities out there in southern Indiana, and they're like, we just got 30 people. And in my mind, I'm like, where would more people come from? This is like, there's just farms. And I will, you would have to have a farmer come in and build. And that's just like one, if you gain one member a year, you're like mega church out there. Why? And here we are in a theater filled with people and, and community around us. There's so, why are you frustrated? Oh. Because you want stuff maybe that you can't have right now. That desire begins to want something so bad. I want that woman. I want that man. I want that car. I want that job. I want that house. I want that position. I want that status. Those things are always working inside of us if we're honest. I just need a little bit more. And so this discontentment begins to build inside of us because of our desires, James says. And and desire is the very thing that you do not want to frustrate. Because if you get your desire frustrated, you would not like to see your desire when it gets angry. You won't like me when I'm angry, says the desire on the inside of you. See, what happens when your desire is frustrated? Have you ever heard of Cain and Abel? Have you ever heard of David and Bathsheba? Look at that lady over there. Mm. I'm going to kill her husband, Uriah. You know, desire is one of those dangerous things, isn't it? I was thinking of that story of that Texas cheerleader mom who wanted her daughter to be a cheerleader so badly that she hired someone to kill another cheerleader so that there would be an open spot on the squad. How many people remember that story? She reasoned that this other girl was standing in the way of her desire for her daughter to be on the squad, and the only thing she could do was to get rid of that other girl. Then her desire for her own daughter could be fulfilled. Some of the worst people are parents on the sidelines. See, that's, that's the attitude that says the fulfillment of my own desires is more important than anything else going on in your life or in anyone else's life. I am the only thing that matters. And who you are and what you want is really insignificant as long as I can get to where I'm going. Now, you might not ever say those words, but don't we act like that sometimes? Okay, let's keep it moving because James says you want something, but you don't get it in verse two. And then he goes further. He says you kill and covet, but you cannot get what you want. Now, I don't imagine that James is saying all of you folks that I'm writing to are murderers. But sometimes we don't kill people, right? We don't. I mean, hopefully. Hopefully. I got a little nervous there. We might not kill someone physically, but we we could do a little murdering. We can assassinate a little bit of character, can't we? We can, we can throw a little bit of jealousy and envy in there. Jealousy is just really our own struggle for more power. 
We want what that person has. Has somebody, when you're in that moment of desire, how is that ever really working out for you? You can do all you want in those moments, but you still don't get what you want. How many people realize that? You end up frustrated, and he keeps unpacking it. Third point, he says, you quarrel and fight, and you do not have what you want because you do not ask God. In the end, you still don't have what you want because you, you don't ever ask God. Look at someone and say, you need to ask God. Why don't you have what you want? You tried to scheme and slander and play the game and move up the ladder when all you had to do was ask God. Doesn't Jesus say, just ask in my name? All you had to do was ask him. There's many of us that just stop. You know, we've been praying a lot. I've been asking God. We've been talking about prayer through all of this. But this prayer that I'm doing, Pastor, seems like it's not working. Have you ever prayed and it felt like it just wasn't working? And James doesn't leave us there. He says, well, you ask and you don't receive because your motives are bad. This is not me talking, it's James. I want to say this. Prayer is not automatically answered. You need to write that down. Your prayers are not automatically answered. See, the Gospels tell us a lot about how we should pray. Matthew 7, Mark 11, Luke 18. But all of them make the very same assumption that when you pray, your heart must be in tune with God's heart. What do you think it means to pray in the name of Jesus? It, it's not something that we just add that's nice at the end of a sentence. Thank you, Lord, for this biscuits and gravy in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, may we have a good night's sleep in the name of Jesus. See, it, rather than that, the validation, when I say we're praying in the name of Jesus, you're saying something sp very specific that, this prayer of mine is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And as I pray, this prayer bears the character of Jesus. It is a prayer of faith and almighty to my almighty father who is up in heaven, who cares for me. And I'm praying within the character of Jesus with the heart of his son beating through me. See, that's very different than our prayers. See, when God's will becomes your prayer, every prayer you pray will be answered. When his will becomes your prayer, everything you pray will be answered. Okay. Have you ever read the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. It begins with your will be done before it ever gets to give us this day my daily bread. Oh, come on. You know, see, if your prayer is just uh, saying the right words 
or, 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 or I'm, I'm really going hard on this one, God, that you would give me that thing and I'm going to confess it. Or like back in the day, people would drive by a car line and say, I'm just going to claim that car in Jesus' name. It's coming to me. Or you drive by a house, I'm claiming it right now. How, how do you know God wants you to have that? Listen, you cannot even bless someone without praying his will. Because you don't know if God wanted that person to walk through a trial. And you walk up into their life and you give them something to get them out of that trial. And God says, they didn't learn what I wanted them to learn in that trial. So I got to walk them through something else. Your will be done in my life. Walking by and praying and saying whatever you want and imagining it's going to happen. That's not prayer. That's black magic. And that's not the reality of any of our lives. Sometimes God says, no, you, you know, see, you can't come to church and worship and, and go after God and say, now, God, after all of that, my will be done. See, you cannot, no matter how much you try, you cannot impose your will on God. Prayer always grows out of a relationship with God whose will is ultimately supreme. When you pray, we don't receive because we don't know his will. We don't know his will. Thinking about my uh, son Armani, and it's still the summer, so you're going to get a few more golfing analogies. But whenever I go out uh, with Armani, I, I, I found this club. Now, this is way too short for any tall person, you know. I don't know where I got this club at. I mean, it's junk. This, this club ain't worth, isn't worth nothing. I probably found it somewhere, you know. It's just nothing. And for the last two years, whenever we go out, he just can, you know, he just swings this one club. You know, this junky club, and he just loves it. He'll do it for, for hours, you know, and, and, and he'll, just keep on, he'll just keep on going. And, you know, he gets a little bit of uh, success. But if he ever saw what was in my bag, he would notice I don't have just one club. Now, he's my son, though, and I, I love him deeply. But I will allow my son to play with inferior equipment. as long as he is too immature to know the difference. But over this past month, we walked into the pro shop and he saw a set of clubs that were much shorter than mine. And it didn't just have one stank club in it. It had a putter. It had nice grips, had a driver, had multiple clubs. And every time we go into the pro shop now, he pulls a club out and said, Dad, what do you, when is Christmas? <laughs> and I looked down at the price and said, $230. I said, Christmas is a long way off, <laughs> long way off. Till you start making some money with this golf thing. But isn't Church, I mean, I'm, this is my son. This is someone that I love, that I would give my life for. And I would let him walk around with inferior equipment as long as he was too immature to know the difference. 
But a sign of him growing up and being more mature is when he looks around and realizes there's a difference between what I have and what he has. And he begins to want that. See, how many people know that God will allow you to play with, live your life and walk through with some inferior stuff? And you might even get a little bit of success with that inferior stuff. And he will let you play with him and act like you're doing something and you're making all the maneuvers. But God, what would happen if you ever asked and said, God, what would you have for me? God, what do you use? What is your golf bag look like? What is your will? Because I would imagine your will is far better than this little stank golf club I've been playing with. See, James digs deeper in this. He says, when you're asking, this has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with your pleasures. Not his will, your pleasure. And God is not like a pleasure monger, you know, like he's, I don't want my people to have pleasure. That's not God. God created pleasure. How many people realize that? Intimacy. God, you didn't create that. God did that. That wasn't something you made up, like you're doing something special. God said, no, it's not good for him to be alone, and I'm creating this. He creates this pleasure. In the garden, it was fruit and just joy. There's the, the point is that God is not against you having pleasure or being having pleasure in your life. It's just this whole motivation that you're walking in is selfish. It's not thinking about God at all. He doesn't have a problem with pleasure. Look at something, he's okay with pleasure. He created all of these things. He created all the food we love and all the desires that make life great. And, and, and for men and the love of the competition and ladies, and he created those dramaful chick flicks and stuff. God is the author of pleasure, but the issue is our own selfishness. God gives us every single tree in the garden, and we say, can I get the one you told me I couldn't have? Oh, come on, come on. See, when that becomes the motivation in our hearts, James jumps up, and he goes, don't you, you all are an adulterous people. James, that escalated quickly. How do we get from talking about praying and asking God for stuff to you calling us adulterers? Because when our desire goes after everything, and God, God calls it adultery. See, that's a throwback to ancient Israel. You know, you are the bride of Christ. I've, I've betrothed you to myself. Just as we in the church are the bride of Christ, says you adulterous people. See, when Israel turned to adultery, it wasn't like they forgot about God. You know, they didn't just say, forget this God, the adultery that Israel operated in was a form of syncretism. Look at someone and say syncretism. You know, syncretism is wanting to have your cake and eating it too. Trying to add God to your own idolatry. Oh, God's cool with this. I got this other stuff that I really want more than God, but I'm going to bring God into the picture and combining the two. This is the imagery from Isaiah, from Jeremiah chapter 3, from Hosea. An adulterous wife who wants to keep the security and the respect of her home and husband, but also wants to enjoy her lover. 
James took it there. I mean, if somebody, your pastor wrote you that, y'all are some adulterous people. You say, oh, I don't know about this, James. James says, church, we are doing the very same thing as ancient Israel. Who is the idol? What is the other lover? What is our other mistress? What is the other thing? And James says the other lover is the world. And don't you know that friendship with the world is is an enemy? It's hatred towards God. And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes what? An enemy. All right, let's just take a show of hands. Who wants to be an enemy of God? Like, there's enemies you might be okay with, but how many people want God? Like, oh, man, he's my enemy. Now, I don't think a single person in here wants God to be an enemy. And, and James says, this isn't some weird teaching. He goes, don't you know? No, this is common knowledge. You all should know this by now. Friendship with the world. Because the world operates under certain principles that are not within the kingdom of God. 1 John 2.16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's all, that's all the world. The NIV, NIV says the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. Power, hierarchy, authority. How can you be a servant when all you're trying to do is climb the corporate ladder in church? See, when you walk into a, a job in the world, what's your M.O.? I'm going to work very hard. I'm going to outdo everyone. I'm going to win. I'm going to gain a seat at the table. I'm going to make the most money. I'm going to befriend the people who has influence in here. I'm going to start befriending those people so I can start making my network, link it in. Let's all get together on this. Uh, uh, I could keep it real, but I don't want you to get too close because if I get honest and you find out the real me, then that might damage my rise. And so I can't really enter into real community with you because then you will have something against me. So I'm going to keep up my political front as long as I'm working in this environment and keep everyone at a distance. How are you? God bless you. Okay, awesome. Let's go. Let's keep it moving. Boom. And that's how we work. But see, but in the kingdom, Jesus turns the whole system upside down. He says, in order to be the first, you have to be He says, if you're going to give to someone, why don't you give to someone who can never re- repay you? Jesus, that is not good networking. He says when you come in, you need to take the low seat. He says love the people that have hurt you the most and pray for those who despitefully use you. <sighs> and if they need something small, why don't you give them double? Double. And then he says, I want you to enter into a relationship with the people around you that is so deep that the only way you can describe it is family. And allow your real self to be exposed as bad as it is. And they'll have something on me. They'll find out that me and my wife, we fight at times. I don't want people to know that about me. He says, enter into covenant. Let them know who you are. See, we love that I deal Jesus, but something inside of us says we still need to parade at the head of the table. Mammon. James calls it the world. God calls it adultery. Church, if you didn't know it right now, God wants your total allegiance. 
So James moves forward and he says, don't you realize that God's spirit is on the inside of you? Look at someone and say, stop stifling the spirit. Now I want you to say that three times fast. Stop. stop. He says, when you're divided like this, you provoke the spirit that's on the inside of you to envy. There's an intensity together. See, I love the feeling when we gather together, don't you? There's this sense of joy and this, oh, man, God is good. And, and we lift our hands and we praise and we sense the Holy Spirit and that God is speaking to us at some level in some sort of situation. And, and in the Bible, they would say whenever you gather together and you feel this way and this overflow and this fresh love happens again, it's a filling up of the Spirit. It's a, it's a fresh filling. How many people come today? I want to get filled fresh. That's the, there's a sort of emotion to it. There's a, you can't even explain it. It's like water. It's like, I just, I just feel like I'm ready. Like I can accomplish things. Like I can move through life. I feel an overflow. See, whenever we set our hearts on the Holy Spirit, he begins to fill us. And we sense a, a, sort of like we're falling in love with God again. He does something fresh where we fall in love again. Has anything ever happened in your life where you just, why you just fell in love again? That's what, ha that's what should be happening whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever we turn to him, there should be this falling in love again. So this week, I'm going to continue this analogy. I was out at the golf course at night with my son Armani hitting balls. You all need to just keep praying for him because when he makes the tour, we're going to get that building we wanted, Okay. Well, it's going to be nice, okay, for the swimming pool. I mean, he's got to get really good, though. He's got to get really good. But the old uh, golf pro, see, he's watching Armani hit with his one stank club. And then he turns to me. He goes, man, you know, this kid, he could, he could be something. And he goes, and Armani's just hitting the way. And he goes, you know what, Armani, hold on. Let me walk out to my car real quick. So he walks out to his car. And I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? He's just walking out to his car and like, hold on, Armani. And he starts walking back. He walks back. And you should have seen little Armani. He's like... And he brings this set along. And, and, and you know, and Armani is just like, <laughs> like he couldn't, he could not control him. And in my mind, I'm like, what? You know, I'm, I'm like, I don't got to buy that Christmas gift. <laughs> so I'm excited. He's excited, and all of a sudden, this has a, a driver and a three-wood and a, another club to hit short shots with and a, a, a putter. He gives him. He now not has one stank club. He just has a, a bag that he can walk around with, and there was this overflow in Armani. And, and, and when we got home that night, his clubs are in the trunk with mine, and he gets out, and he goes, Dad, can you go open the trunk 
so I can show everyone my new set of clubs. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, fine. That's all. It's not that deep, but yeah, let's go do it. So he shows them. Then the next day, friends come over, and then he begins to say, Dad, can you open the trunk so I can show people what's in the bag? And then when we go out, he realizes this club right here hits it a little bit further. So when I'm on the tee box, I'll pull out the big one. And then when I'm in a different spot in life, I'll pull out the smaller one. And he's starting to realize that these all, every single piece that I've been given matters. When I got home from the retreat, he said, Dad, are we going golfing after church? And I'm looking at Joanna like, I guess I have to. I have to. You know I don't want, you know I want to be at home with you and just sitting back and just talking and stuff. But you know we can't let him go like this. We have to encourage his passions. And every time we go to that club and he sees that old golf pro, he goes, that's the guy who gave me the clubs. He can't get it off of his mind because he just, he was caught by an immense love. But what would have happened if when he gave him the clubs, Armani said, whatever. I'm good. And he never ex explored it. And, and when he got home, he just forgot where they were at. He never used all the pieces. See, sometimes that's how we do God. The Holy Spirit is living on the inside of me. And the first time I felt his presence, there was an overwhelming joy and immensity. And it just changed my life. You know how it was. Everywhere you went, you'd tell somebody, man, what Jesus has done for me. You get home, you couldn't wait to tell your husband. You don't understand today, here's what the Lord spoke to me. But over time, you got a little familiar. Or maybe you never even opened the package. So you're still playing with that one club. You're swinging that one club everywhere you go. I'm kind of getting through life. I'm kind of getting through life. But when you got to go through a long journey, like cancer, the club isn't long enough. But if you ever open the package of the Holy Spirit, you'd find out that you have a driver in there. And whether he heals me or not, I know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm going to pull out that peace for this one. Oh, he also has a little long suffering in there as I'm walking through this. Maybe I'll pull out that club. Well, right now, today ain't working right for me, but you know what? I know that the Spirit has a little bit of joy. But by the way, there is a gift of healing in there as well. He says, if you open the package, don't you realize the one on, in, on the inside of you has love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control? You're not playing with enough clubs right now. Look at someone and they tell them they need to open up the package. 
the spirit is on the inside of us. If you don't have enough clubs, James says, but God gives us a little bit more grace. So I say live by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Galatians tells us that since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Keep in step. Use every club in the bag. And allow the spirit to fill your life fresh today. You're not using enough. Stand with me, church. Hallelujah. But he gives more grace. I love that, that after the end of all of that stuff in James chapter 4, he says, but God gives more grace. Do you realize that God right now is always ready to wipe your slate clean? <laughs> right now, he gives more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All you got to do is say, God, I, you're right. I haven't been using it all but I humble myself in your presence today. Wipe my slate clean and allow your Holy Spirit to fill me fresh. Let's pray that now. Holy Spirit, fill your people fresh today. Let there be an overwhelming sense of the fruit of the Spirit rising up in us. If we're in a tough relationship, God, let, this, let your, the fruit of love rise up in our hearts. If we're dealing with something overwhelming, God, let peace rise up in our hearts, God. If we're down in the pit of depression, let joy rise up. Lord, if we've been walking through a battle for so long, let long suffering rise up. If we're angry at the world, Lord, let gentleness rise up, God. I pray for peacemakers in this house. Lord, we humble ourselves before your mighty throne of grace that you would lift us up in due season. God is not concerned with your past. He's concerned with the present state of your heart right now. And he has a gift for you. If you receive it today, lift your hands in this place. And just begin to declare, say, Holy Spirit, fill my life. And in as a declaration of what James prayed and said, he says, if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. So declare it, God, we draw near to you. Will you draw near to me? And now, God, bless your people. As we go throughout our week, let us continue to open up the bag and use every club in it. Bless your people. Keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Give us hope and peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. God bless you, family. Next Sunday, 9 a.m., we'll see you bright and early. It's going to be awesome. <laughs>